And I've always wanted to do a sermon on Galatians 4.4 in the fullness of time. And I had my PowerPoint ready. I had my sermon pretty much in my head. And I woke woke up in the middle of the night two weeks ago with the parable of the wicked tenants in my head. And and I'm not saying this to curry any favor that Rick didn't have a lot of time to prepare. And I couldn't get the parable of the wicked tenants out of my head. And so that's what we're going to go with today. And I'm not sure why. So we're going to put the fullness of time off to the future. Um, Wicked tenants is not a fun parable. You'll see when we talk about it. It wasn't my first choice. But we're going to go with it today. Um, Let's go to God with a word of prayer. Lord, we are very grateful to be able to spend these moments together in your house, in fellowship, uh, in worship before you. Uh, We know that uh, the world around us, the world outside, and maybe much of our lives is just full of worrisome things, of chaos, of conflict. Uh, May we find our peace and our anchor in you. May we reflect that to others, the others around us, and may we enjoy these moments of peace and rest and joy in you. May our hearts and our minds be attentive and open and receptive to what you have for us today. We thank you for the impressions that you've given Rick and his obedience to that, and we trust and know that you will use him. We pray for him, that you would fill him and use him to bring uh, your words to us this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Um, I do have to just say, boy, what a difference a week makes. Uh, 50 degrees, has 50 degrees ever felt better? I think it's mainly because 50 degrees is 50 degrees warmer than it was last week. Um, I jokingly said to my wife yesterday at home, I said, I'm thinking I'm going to go up front uh, tomorrow and preach in shorts. And if I remember her quote verbatim, it was, that would be wrong on every level. I'm not sure that's entirely true, but I am sparing you the full whiteness of my legs this morning. Uh, we did have a little technical difficulty. Um, I was originally, this parable is, written, is uh, captured in, when I say all three Gospels, I know there's four, but there's no parables in John. Uh, this parable is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, so what does that say? There's only four parables that are captured in all three Gospels. It says it's probably of some importance, at least if it's repeated. All scripture is important, however. Um, we did have a technical. I was going to read out of the merged Gospels, which um, really is just verse by verse of all of the accounts to be referencing back and forth. We had a technical glitch with me getting the font big enough to have that on here. We're going to read Matthew's account. It's page 827 in the Pew Bible, and I did not get the words on the screen, so I'll get you a moment to get there. 827 in the Pew Bible, Matthew 21. So Matthew 21, and we're going to pick it up in 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and a tower. Then he, returned the, then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, 
Let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And the Lord, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He, will fall, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Okay, we talked about that. So parables, it's important, well, in any scripture, when we pull a scripture out, is uh, kind of the context. So parables, Jesus taught through his whole ministry. In fact, a third of Jesus' ministry was taught in parables. Uh, Who, when, and where, right? This is Jesus' last parable. This is days, some could argue 24, 48 hours prior to his crucifixion. This is after the triumphal entry. This is after Jesus cleansed the temple for the second time. This is at the end. Who is he speaking to? If you go back just a couple things in in there, you will see that Jesus is speaking to the Sanhedrin. Some would say it is an interrogation interrogation group. Um, He's speaking to the elders, to the chief priests, to the Pharisees. They are questioning Jesus' authority. That's his audience. Were there other people listening? Probably so. But Jesus' audience here is the chief priests, scribes, Pharisees, Sanhedrin, the religious elite. Vineyards 101, right? Parables Jesus pulled out of everyday life. Everybody listening to this story would have had some working knowledge that we don't have. So let's do a little background so we understand this parable, understand the context of the parable a little bit better. A vineyard was a significant financial investment. Significant. This was not a run-of-the-mill vineyard. Watchtower, wine press, wall, everything. This vineyard had everything it needed to succeed from the outset. When you start a small business, right, you don't often start with a new truck and a new building and, a new, and, new, and everything new. You start a little bit small and you get some used stuff, and as the business grows, you invest more in the business. This vineyard was set up perfectly to succeed with everything new from the outset. Everything they needed. Absentee landlords, not terribly common here, North America 2021. There. Five-year ROI on a vineyard. Maybe as early as three, but not uncommon. So this investment is a five-year ROI before you're gaining really any uh, profit out of the vineyard. Rent is paid in kind. You read here, it's paid in fruit. Somewhere in the 25 to 50% range, depending on the agreement negotiated. Now we all know what the audience knew about vineyards. Jesus pulled this from everyday life. As soon as Jesus used the word vineyard, anybody listening, most certainly the spiritually elite, that's Israel. It's Isaiah 5. Very, very, everyone would have equated Israel with the vineyard. Not a person hearing wouldn't have known that reference immediately. 
Rent is due five years later. Uses the same word there actually in Leviticus. We're not going to go back and read it. He sends servants. I'm going to go through this fast, not because I'm nervous, but just because it's, it's the parable. We probably have some knowledge of it. Servants are be- beaten and mistreated. It's actually not uncommon for the audience to hear that. Hey, why not? It's worth a try. You rough up the servants. You don't have to give them any money. Maybe the landowner forgot about us. Maybe he's not going to send anybody else. It actually was not terribly uncommon. The owner repeats it. Seems a little Try the same thing over and over. It gets different results. But it gets worse for the servants. Some of the servants are stoned and killed. That was uncommon. That was not, that was not going to sit well. And what's next? Somehow, this gentleman... I shouldn't say gentleman, could have been a lady. The owner of the vineyard decides to send his son. I guess it says his son. Uh, See, I'm trying to be politically correct, and I shouldn't be. Uh, He sends his son. He sends his beloved. That is Matthew 3, 17, same word. When Jesus was baptized, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The owner sent his beloved. That's also in the same prophecy in Isaiah, predicting Jesus, his beloved son. He is the heir, noted in the parable, and they killed him. Question, are these tenants recklessly wicked, or was this a shrewd scheme? Again, vineyard, parables pulled out of everyday life. In the Mishnah, the Mishnah is an expansion of the rules of the law down to the letter of the law. If you could prove that you were squatting on a piece of land... For three years, and nobody could produce legal deed to that, it was yours. So this actually made sense to the audience. The heir shows up. It has been five years. It is entirely possible the landowner is deceased. He sends his son. The son is dead. No one has title to the land. Now you do. Now the tenants own the vineyard. This was an entirely plausible scenario. Sounds absurd to us in 2021. This was entirely plausible that the tenants could gain legal title to the land. Then asks a rhetorical question. What will the owner do? And in Matthew's account, I love it, the phrasing. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. He will kill them. And he will give the vineyard to others. And the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees reply, may this never be. And they just pronounce judgment on themselves. There's a number of ways to look at parables. One way to look at parables is allegorically. Allegories, allegories aren't perfect, but is where something represents something else. This parable lends extremely well to an allegorical interpretation. Vineyard owner is God. Vineyard, we talked about that, Isaiah 5, is Israel slash Jewish, the Jews. The tenants, the religious elite. Servants, Jesus sent prophets. God sent prophets again and again. How were they treated? Not well. Were some killed? Some were killed. Jesus sent his, the landowner sent his son, killed. 
It's Jesus. And the new, the tenants, us, that's us, that's the Gentiles. That's how we got in. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but this parable lends itself extremely well to an allegorical interpretation. What do we do with this in 2021? We pull this in. This is a great story. We know it. It's allegorically. It's, it's great. I want to pull a couple key takeaways out of here. Takeaway number one. It's in your notes if you're a note taker. The patience of the vineyard owner. I put in the, in the notes, I think, God is love. He sent his servants. The landowner sent his servants repeatedly. Different groups. More and more. And then he sent his son, a final warning. God is patient because God is love. Now that phrase doesn't work backwards. God is not love because he is. God is patient because God is love. Does that make sense? It's, cannot look at that backwards. Love, love is God's character. It's not you know, we have character trait. It is a character trait of God. It is innate in God. God is love. However, key takeaway number two, the wrath of the vineyard owner. There's an end, isn't there? There's an end of the patience. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he will give his vineyard Note this, others, it's in the text, who will give him his due. God is wrathful because God is holy. And again, that doesn't go backwards. God isn't holy because he's wrathful. God is holy. And holiness is in his character. What if... If I'm tracking with you, what if God was only love? Part of my prep when I do when I'm up here is I like to do my own prep, but I, I, I will not hide that I listen to other people that have preached on this to do some background, and I listened to one particular good one I thought was fantastic on uh, from Alistair Begg, and he went on what I'm going to say is a tirade of saying how awful it would be if God was only love. And when I first heard that, I was like, it, it didn't sit well with me. And I listened to him go on his tirade, and I was chewing on it for a couple of days, and I re-listened to it. But his point was actually, in my mind, very deep and very profound. If God was only love, and he sat in heaven, and he looked down and saw the atrocities of, atrocities of Hitler, and of other, and when he sees sex traffic, and when he sees child pornography, and he sees abuse of every kind in the world, what if God would just be like, and he puts up with it for a while because he's patient, and then he says, come on home, it's okay, and we get to heaven, and we'd be there with those people, it's okay, God's patient, he's love, that's all he is, is love, it doesn't work, Beg says there's something deeply wrong if you see injustice, and it doesn't rile up something in you, what if God was only love? Conversely, what if God was only holy? How many of us get past our fifth birthday? Six, maybe, I don't know. I wouldn't, there'd be nobody here. There wouldn't be humanity. What, what if God was holy? Sin, you're dead. Penalty, it's over. 
my wrath immediately. Before we get too high on ourselves and ripping on the tenants, what was the tenants' sin at its root? What did they want? They wanted to be in charge. This is our vineyard. We're going to run it the way we want. We're going to keep the profit. We want to be God of ourselves. Well, that's terrible. That's awful, right? Does that sound familiar? Genesis 3. What was Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve? What happens if you'll be God? You'll know right from wrong. Right, so we rip on the tenants, and we rip on Eve and Adam, because that's why we're here, right? Fallen sin. What's your sin at its root? Whatever it is. What's my sin at its root? God, I, I, just, I know you want me to do this. I don't want to do it. What am I doing? I'm God. I want to be in charge. I want to run my life. God, I know I shouldn't talk. I know I shouldn't gossip about that person. But I really want to. I really just want to tell someone. I want to be God. I don't want to obey. This isn't in the notes. This is not uh, a huge part of the parable, but I would be remiss if I did not note it. The vineyard was fruitful. Note that. This vineyard was fruitful in spite of the tenants. The vineyard brought forth fruit. Isaiah 55, 11, God's word will not come back void. So where specifically am I going with this? If I'd have told you six months ago that I was going to quote Ravi Zacharias, a hush would have came over the audience, and the note takers would have out, and we'd have been ready. And if I told you today I was going to quote Ravi Zacharias, you'd unclick your pen, and you'd put your pencil down. If you haven't followed, Ravi Zacharias appeared to have been living a double life. There are some horrendous allegations that have been proven independent, not proven, I shouldn't say, that have certainly appeared to be independent, and they appear to be awful. He appeared to be involved in unrepentant sin, sexual sin. It's terrible. When he died, I have a very, very good friend of mine. Um, he's an atheist. We golf tons. We talk about things tons. The only video I ever got my atheist friend to watch was a sermon that I thought from Ravi Zacharias shortly after he died to send it to my buddy, and it was awesome. It was a great sermon on truth. My point here is the vineyard was fruitful. Do not eject God's truth with Ravi Zacharias's reputation. We deify men. We deify our athletes. We deify human Christians. We put them on a pedestal. They're human, they're frail. Do not miss God's truth for the frailty of any man. A little bit of a gear change here in the text. We're going to spend the last few minutes talking about this. Jesus goes on, and let's reread that just for a moment to put it in our heads. Because the parable itself is kind of over at this point. But Jesus continues... Um, Jesus said to them, I am picking it up in verse 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be, given, will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Cornerstone, this again is an unmistakable text. Psalm 118, Jesus is quoting here. Everyone there would have known this. In fact, this verse was quoted at the Passover. And again, we talked about when this is, Passover is coming right up. This verse, the cornerstone, was Israel. It was a source of national pride for them. Everyone instantly knew this verse. And it's an unimaginable mistake to miss the cornerstone. I am not an expert on building in that, that time. I'm not an expert on building now. But it's the cornerstone. It's the bedrock. It's the foundation of what the building was built on. I was looking for a modern-day analogy. The only thing I could come up with is a builder pours the foundation of a building and comes back the next day and starts to build the structure on the vacant lot next door. It's unimaginable. It's unconscionable to miss the cornerstone. It's not possible. It is to suggest that LeBron James is not good at basketball. I don't, don't care where you stand, whether you like the Cavaliers or the Lakers, whoever he plays for, you like his politics. LeBron James is good at basketball. It is to suggest Beethoven didn't know much about music. How, how could you miss that? How could you cannot miss the cornerstone? It is to suggest Warren Buffett doesn't know much about investing. What did he admit yesterday? He made a mistake on something, a billion dollars. But in 2020, his, RO, his profit was up 23.1%. I think Warren Buffett knows a little bit about investing. This is my favorite one. This is Lord Kelvin, 1895, physicist. This is his quote. Now, I know he didn't have the Wright brothers and, and Southwest and the airlines we have today and all the data and science, but didn't they have birds? cornerstone, Psalm 118. Again, everyone knew this, and Jesus is clear here. The stone crushes you, or it breaks you to pieces. Uh, Churchill phrases it this way. I like this too. Jesus is the cornerstone. It's your last thing if you're a note taker. Jesus is the cornerstone. And Jesus notes clearly, he is a stumbling block. We talk about that up here often. God, people want to talk about God. People are behind getting things. Jesus, not so much. Jesus is a stumbling block because Jesus asserts that he is the only way. There is not different sections in heaven for Buddha and Krishna, and Muhammad. Jesus. And folks, persecution is coming, I think, in America, quickly. I'm not talking about, uh, let me not get ahead of myself, real persecution is coming. Um, in fact, I would tell you it's just next door. If we're going to stand on this book in its entirety, the persecution is coming, and quite quickly. And it's right here already. Next door, I tell you. Next door. Anybody heard Trinity by Waterloo, Ontario? 
Trinity Bible Chapel, Waterloo, Ontario, just had their first court case. They opened during COVID. They broke the restrictions. Canada takes COVID quite a bit more seriously, quite a bit more punitively than America. They opened for in-person services a few weeks, recently, like a couple few weeks ago. Um, They are now doing in the parking lot over loudspeaker. Why are they doing that? Because they just got fined their first court date, 100 grand. It's a church about our size. And there is more litigation and more uh, coming. The next fees they are facing are in the millions. Satan's simply going to put that church out of business financially. That's his goal. I shouldn't say that he will. The Terrio will tell you that Trinity Bible Chapel is in trouble for breaking COVID restrictions. I suggest to you Trinity Bible Chapel is in trouble for preaching the gospel. Anybody know this name? Unfortunately, more bad news from my home country. He's in jail right now as I speak. I can't remember if it's Calgary or Edmonton, Alberta. Why is he in jail? He is in jail. He has actually posted bond. It is actually a reasonable bond. I can't remember. It's in the thousands. It was something reasonable. He's in jail again, opening church during COVID. He posted his bond, but a condition of his bond is he had to give his word he will not go back to that church and preach during COVID. He said, I can't do it. He's in jail. His court date is May 3rd. He's been in jail for a few weeks already. He'll be in jail for a few more months. This isn't doom and gloom. I'm not trying to be negative because I'm telling you, if we stand on this word, persecution is coming, but it's worth it. Don't give this up. All of it. It's worth it. Jesus is a stumbling block. You have a choice. You want to fall and be broken to pieces, which is great, and have Jesus put the pieces back together. But if not, the peril Jesus will crush you in the end. There is a finality. There is an end. The patience of the landowner will run out, and there will be an account. And sin, unrepentant sin, This will crush you. Where do you want to be? Broken? And have Jesus put the pieces back together? Are we up for it? This is a challenge. I mean this in a good way because it's worth it. Jesus is worth everything. But make no mistake, he is a stumbling block. Are you willing to stand for the truth? Are we willing? It's a challenge to me. Are we willing to stand on this book, all of it, at any cost? Those two people, and by the way, those churches, just for a second, I don't know why I feel the need to set the record straight. Those aren't wingnut churches. That's not Westboro Baptist Church. These aren't snake churches that hold snakes and do stuff. These are reasonable, regular churches that are facing trials right now. Uh, The elders asked this week that we pray for the Equality Act. Equality Act passed in the House. Actually, it passed in the House in 2017. This is round two. Um, we'll see how it goes in the Senate. Equality Act sounds really good, right? Equality. That, sound, that sounds great. Not so much. Are we willing to stand on that book and search it? So now's the time. Time, but now is the time. Spend that time in prayer. Spend that time in the Word. See what that book really says. What is really, really important? Where are we going to stand? Spend time fellowship with the saints. Now's the time. I want to close with a story uh, of real persecution because I love how it ends. 
and this is Dimitri. Um, I don't care much for the title of the book. I got this from the book, The Insanity of God. Um, the author eludes me right now. Um, it's a great book, not so much a great title. Dimitri, this is Cold War Russia. This is actually post-Cold War Russia. This is in the 80s. This is after Russia was free and liberated. Um, the East Bloc was gone. And Dimitri, I don't know how old he was at the time, he had a wife and a couple small boys. And he realized, closest church, I can't remember if it was three hours or three days away, sorry, that eludes me now, the closest church wasn't feasible. And he decided, him and his wife, that they're going to start reading Bible stories and start singing songs. They're going to have just a little mini family church service. And it was great. And the boys loved it, and the wife loved it, and the kids. And then that grew, kind of into a home church, as you would expect. God's word does not come back void. And that church grew. And it grew. And there was 25 people. And then, you know, small town, I'm guessing a small, small town like Tremont, doors and windows open, it's 50. Now the KGB gets involved. And they come and rough Dimitri up and say, dude, this isn't going to end well for you. You need to shut this down right now. 75 people. 100. KGB comes again. Dude, you better smarten up. This is not going to end well. 150 people. Then one day, Dimitri, KGB knocked on the door, but they weren't there to talk. They took them 600 miles away. Again, this is reasonably recent. This is the 80s, 90s. 600 miles away to his jail cell, which consisted, it was tiny, a bed. That was his jail cell. Dimitri was there for 17 years. 17 years. Just for a moment, pause in your brain. Where were you 17 years ago? How much time has elapsed? What stage of life were you in 17 years ago? 17 years. Dimitri started every morning in that cell by getting up, facing east, and singing, <clears throat> singing his favorite Russian hymn every morning. Prisoners were not too enthused with this. Bang their metal cups on the jail cell to distract the noise. The prisoners that were close to him would throw their leftover table scraps at him to get him to shut up. Some would throw their own human excrement at him to get him to shut up. 17 years, Dimitri woke up every day, faced east, and sung that song. They broke him. Uh, insomnia, sleep deprivation, torture, all form of uh, mental and physical ailments. They broke Dimitri. And he said one day, he says, guys, I want out. Just bring me the paper in the morning and I'll sign it. All he had to do was sign a piece of paper that said, I'm a Western spy and I renounce Christ. Guard said, no problem. We'll have that paperwork here in the morning for you to sign Dimitri did not sleep that night. He was heartbroken as to what he did. 600 miles away that exact night, there was a prayer meeting in his house. His wife and his sons and some family members. And as they were praying, 600 miles away in the cell, Dimitri audibly heard the voices. Next morning, come with the paperwork. 
And Dimitri stands up after he'd sung his song and said, I'm signing nothing. Needless to say, guards were not too impressed with this little trick. And they said, what is going on? And Dimitri says, you guys lied to me. You told me my wife and my sons were dead. I heard their voices last night as they prayed for me. The guards tried to convince, and Dimitri said no. They grabbed Dimitri, and they were dragging him through that jail, I am sure, for a beating that he was not going to survive. And as they drug him through that jail, they got to the center, to the courtyard, and 1,500 hardened criminals stood up, faced east, and sung that song Dimitri sang. And the guards were terrified. They dropped Dimitri, and they said, who are you? And Dimitri said, I'm a servant of the Most High God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And Dimitri got let go and sent home a couple days later. And, one of, and the reason I tell this story is because this is one of Dimitri's comrades' advice and challenge to us today. Folks, there have been some tears in my office this week. I'm giving up in freedom what they would not give up. The worship team's going to come up. We're going to close with a song. Folks, this parable is clear. God is love, but God is holy. And there is a final day and a final repentance. But it's all on Jesus. He is the cornerstone. A stumbling block to some, but worth everything. And he will redeem in the end.